This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Roughly 1.5 million Canadians self-identify as living with vision loss. It is clear that the needs and concerns specific to the vision loss community during COVID-19 have not been fully addressed in public responses to the pandemic. The issues are numerous, often predating COVID-19, but there are specific concerns, for instance, around practicing safe social distancing, which have cropped up during the pandemic and which require prompt responses. It is through information gathering and evidence-based intervention that the vision loss community can effectively work with policymakers at all levels of government to implement suitable responses. Today, we discuss the impact of COVID-19 on the vision loss community. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joyita Gupta. I'm the host of the program, and it's a pleasure to have you with us again today. I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're keeping well and safe. We are working from home today, and we have been doing so every day as we do our part to flatten the curve. To keep up, keep up with the news and information around COVID-19 specific to the vision loss community, please visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. Today we're talking about a survey that's been organized and implemented by the Canadian Council of the Blind that looks at the impact of COVID-19 on this community. It is a large community comprising about 1.5 million Canadians, and there are many recommendations that go along with that. My guests today are Louise Gillis, the president of the Canadian Council of the Blind, and Dr. Keith Gordon, CCB's senior research officer. They join me now to discuss the results of the survey. Luis, welcome back to The Pulse. And Dr. Gordon, it's a pleasure to have you on the program for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, thank you very much as well. And uh, just to begin with, I want to thank the 572 respondents for their diligence in responding to this survey. Most right. important. Absolutely. Louise, let me start the conversation off with you. So you mentioned that you did the survey. You had 500-plus people mm-hmm. respond to it. At what point did you realize that you needed to gather some information about how people with vision loss were faring during the pandemic? Well, early in, in March, through our uh, basically through our GTT program and conversations held on that, listening to the people remarks that they were making about how difficult it was how fearful they were, and that uh, just in trying to get groceries, trying to be out and about and do their things, the fears that they were finding. And so when <clears throat> this community started voicing those concerns, we had uh, Keith and others look into what about doing a survey to find out exactly what majority of people were finding. So that's how we led up to beginning this on the early April. Now, Keith, you are the researcher amongst us, so do tell us about how many people you ended up surveying, give us an overview of the demographics, and what was some of your research methodology? It should be mentioned up front that this was an online survey. 
So there are people who don't have access to computers that uh, we, we unfortunately weren't able to capture within this group. Um, so we, we did a, an emailing to uh, the uh, CCB list on two occasions. Uh, we did an e- emailing to the balance list uh, to the uh, AEBC, the Association for the Equality of Blind Canadians, and to the Fighting Blindness Canada list. So we, we got to a large number of people, uh, and the, from the time we sent our list out to the time we closed the, uh, the responses, uh, we got, uh, took one week. So we got 572 respondents in a week, which is huge for a survey of this type. So clearly there's, there's a real interest by people uh, out there to get their, their voices heard in some way. Uh, typically, if you in surveys we've done in the past using similar lists, uh, we've t- taken about a month to get uh, a number even close to this number. So it's it's been a survey of great interest. Uh, we got a very quick response, and uh, the responses were all inputted via Survey Monkey, which uh, is a fairly simple and accessible tool. Uh, for responding to surveys. So let's, at this stage, start to go through the findings in your survey and the report that came out of it. Now, just so everyone knows, there's a lot of information in this report. We're going to try our best to cover as many findings and recommendations as possible, but we may not be able to get through all of them. But we'll try our best amongst the three of us to get through as many as possible. So, Keith, let's start off by talking about demographics and the breakdown by age. Did you find that older Canadians with vision loss might have had different concerns from younger Canadians with vision loss? Uh, Yes. Our respondents, we had about 42% of the respondents were over the age of 65. Uh, which we considered to be the most fragile and fearing and vulnerable communities, but that's not the way it turned out. Uh, we, we subsequently did a, a, a sub-analysis and we were able to show, in, in fact, that the, the, the people most fearful, most stressed are the people under 65. Uh, the people who are concerned about financial issues uh, were mostly the younger people. Uh, I, I guess when we get older, we uh, you adjust to whatever your pension is or whatever other forms of income you have. And uh, But if you're younger, you're concerned that uh, whatever income you have coming in from uh, full-time or part-time work may disappear. So we did show that there was a, a, a big difference between uh, older people and younger people in terms of concerns of, of a number of number of sorts, mostly financial, but also healthcare concerns. There was a, a greater concern in the younger population. That's a very counterintuitive finding. I'm not saying that it isn't accurate, but Louise, a lot of people mm. have been following the news and we do hear a lot about seniors being particularly vulnerable. Does the report make any recommendations in light of what Keith is saying, nevertheless, to support seniors uh, with vision loss at this time? Well, one of the, the big things with the, kind of the, the problem with it, many of seniors are living in long-term care homes and do not have access to computers that Keith had mentioned earlier. So they were not able, as able to answer the questions. And I think one of the recommendations for that was to 
to try and get more information and more access into long-term care facilities for all um, all seniors. They are not only vision loss, but uh, others to keep in touch with families and to be able to to make life easier in general, even with or without COVID. But uh, with COVID being the, the major part, many are not being able to, to visit with family and friends and don't have that access. So we have to recommend that uh, we make some sort of a, a change, either through government, through the, the people who are caring for the, the older folks in the long-term care places to provide access to equipment that can bring them into contact with uh, their family on the outside and to do that. So that's where a lot of their stress would be. Um, and that's uh, about it for that part, I think, at this point. I'm speaking to Dr. Keith Gordon and Louise Gillis from the Canadian Council of the Blind about their findings and recommendations that deal with the impact of COVID-19 on the vision loss community. Keith, I think Louise really set up my next question nicely, which is uh, dealing with access to information. How did you find, based on the survey, that most people were getting their information about COVID-19? Uh, there was a, a wide variety of, of sources of information. Uh, first and foremost above that, uh, uh, amongst them was TV and radio and slightly less than that was Internet. But people did access their information through a variety of social media and, uh, and by word of mouth from friends. So, but uh, the bottom line is if one is going to go to this community to provide information, I think one needs to do it through TV, radio and Internet primarily and social media secondarily. Uh, what we found also that was that 69% uh, of people had accessed government information online, which uh, we found very high. But the, uh, the upsetting thing was that about half of the people said that they, um, that they didn't find government websites to be fully accessible. Now this may only be a perception, but perception is reality in this case. Uh, if people can't access the information through their websites, even if those websites are, are su supposedly accessible, then they're not getting the information. So I think it's important that governments be sure that the information that they're putting out on their websites uh, are easily accessible to the c uh, community of uh, people with vision loss. So, Luis, the million-dollar question is, if people are claiming or are saying on the survey that government websites aren't accessible, what corresponding recommendations are you putting forward in the report to try and address this? Well, we have recommended for many a long time, a much long time, to make sure that all sources of uh, communication be accessible, whether it be on the uh, computer or whatever, that uh, media... Uh, information also needs to be accessible because oftentimes uh, products are out there, newscasts and whatnot. They're not describing fully what the whole situation is, so we need more description in our uh, um, video conversations uh, through government and through just general people, uh, medical information, etc. that comes out. It all needs to be fully accessible so that Anybody with uh, sight loss, whether they're 
photoblind, low vision, or deafblind, that they will be able to listen to, hear, read the information in their type of format, whether it be in a booklet or, or whatever they are sending out, governments and uh, organizations. So that's the, the big thing, making sure that we all can get to read. I want to pick up on some of the concerns, Keith, that have been brought up in your study around access to not only COVID-19 testing facilities, but also just having access to medical care and pharmaceuticals in general. What were some of the findings? Just in, in, in answering that, uh, Javita, I, I'd like to say that a, a lot of the concerns expressed in this area are the similar concerns to, to those that the sighted community has. But because of the difficulty of getting to uh, healthcare sites and healthcare clinics and testing clinics, uh, it's that much more difficult for people with vision loss. So the findings in, a, in and of themselves are not unique to, uh, to, the, to the, the greater community at this time, but they need to be taken, uh, in, t- taken along with the concern that uh, the, the vision loss community is particularly vulnerable at this time. Mm-hmm. So to, to answer your question more directly, I'm sorry, I went into a little bit of a preamble there, <laughs> but uh, about uh, 73 quarters of people were concerned about their ability to see a doctor if they got sick. So this isn't necessarily related to COVID, but if they got sick for any, con- any condition, they were concerned uh, about how they would get to see a doctor. Uh, about a third of people were concerned about uh, how they would arrange a telehealth appointment if the need ar- ar- arose. They'd never done this before. They didn't know where you did it by phone or on the computer or online or however. Uh, about a quarter of people were concerned about their ability to get prescriptions. Uh, but perhaps the, the largest response in this area, the largest worry in this area, was about half of people uh, were concerned about uh, how they would get transportation to get to a doctor or a hospital and whether they would be able to have someone accompany them uh, when they went to a doctor or a hospital. I think those, both of those are particular concerns about the vision loss community uh, that do not exist in the, in the greater community. And uh, at they are concerns that are expressed by a really large number of people. Louise, let me get your perspective on this. So transportation to get to COVID-19 testing centers or other medical appointments, big issue for the community, as well as for those of uh, us in the community who rely on personal support workers or care workers. There's some concern about uh, the fact that care workers may not be wearing protective equipment, uh, how does the report suggest we deal with some of these ongoing and emergent concerns? Well, some of the suggestions have been that uh, personal care workers uh, be supplied with the protective equipment that everyone else does and that they wear it going in a, a new mask and gloves and, or at least that amount and if uh, necessary a gown as well into every house because we don't know where they've been before and the, the person who is totally blind is not necessarily able to see if they are wearing a mask and may be fearful to even ask that question for fear of uh, 
text and saying, yes, they do, and actually they don't, or else the person will leave and not come back and do the work that they were supposed to be doing at that time. So it's a, it's a fearful thing that bit of information there as well. Uh, as far as the getting transportation, the accessible transportation is not always available. It has been cut back quite a lot in many communities. So it's recommended that there may be special uh, taxis or mode of transportation that are cleaned between each uh, uh, customer so that when somebody goes to get in it, that they don't have the fear of, of contracting or passing on the virus, if that may be the case. The, uh, for shopping for groceries, etc., is another big concern. And the lineups and the long um, time between making the call and actually getting waited on is, is great. So we've recommended that there be special line for people with disabilities of all sorts and uh, even a special queue, a separate queue from the general population. And that would help with the the uh, social distancing that people who are have uh, vision loss are not able to determine what six feet is quite easily and mm-hmm. not get into problems with that. And sometimes when that happens, because society is so upset and concerned about this, they become rather agitated that this person has actually bumped into them. So it's to, to get the public to realize that we cannot see necessarily where we're going. So please have patience with the, with us as we go through our day. I'm going to bring Keith in for a minute. So uh, Louise talked about access to groceries. Just anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of people within the community that this is a, a big concern. Aside from some of the issues in shopping at a retail brick and mortar store that Louise has sort of set out for us, we also know that many people have been shopping online, Keith. Did you get a chance to survey people about the accessibility of these online websites? Are people comfortable shopping online? Do they get delivery windows that are convenient for them? First of all, you know, uh, about a third of people are shopping online for the first time. So it, it is difficult. Uh, then the uh, a large number of people said that that the websites they were using were not accessible or were only partially accessible. Uh, so I think you, you've got a similar issue here as, as you did with the government websites that I was talking about, uh, except here they're prob- probably websites that are really not accessible. It's not just a perception, but there's probably a perception and a reality here as well. Uh, most people said that they were not able to to get convenient pickup and delivery slots. Uh, even if they were having family picking up groceries for them, they couldn't get the the, the slots that they wanted. And and I think this is this reflects the uh, the experience that uh, pretty well all the community has. Uh, the there is, as far as I know, no real. Uh, concession to people with disabilities so that you could get a, a priority delivery. And I think that that's, that's something that we, we would like to see come out of this. In some places they've uh, made provisions for people with disabilities or seniors to come in first thing in the morning after the, sh- the shelves have been stocked and uh, you know the store has been cleaned. Do you think that interventions like that, Luis, might help to deal with some of the food security issues that we've seen come up? It, it can, um, but sometimes many of the people who are 
out doing the shopping are working as well. So there may need to be a, another time during the day as well set aside for the purpose of uh, not being able to be there at 7 a.m. And uh, and they may have young families at home too that they're caring for. So it, it makes it kind of uneasy that way, and that's why we suggested the uh, designated phone line and designated pickup line, so our priorities, as Keith mentioned, so that uh, it would be easier for them to, to get groceries. Mm-hmm. So important. I'm speaking right now to Louise Gillis, the president of the CCB, as well as Dr. Keith Gordon, the research officer for the Canadian Council of the Blind. Keith, we've got a few minutes left, and I really want to explore the financial security and the income security issues that have come up for people within the vision loss community. What have you found? Okay. Uh, first of all, to, to go almost to the bottom line, we found that uh, we asked people to rate their level of stress on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 10 being the, the most stressed. And we found that about uh, almost 30% of people were experiencing a stress level over 7. Uh, if we then ask that group of um, people who are express, experiencing the highest stress level what it was that was stressing them and compared it with a group who had a lower stress level, we, we found that financial concerns were, were first and foremost. Uh, people were concerned about their ability to pay for groceries, to pay their rent or mortgage, to pay for the utilities, pay for their credit cards. And mostly they were concerned about having the finances to maintain their standard of living without financial assistance. Uh, and another concern that people had was that the effect of the added stress from the pandemic on their mental health uh, may cause them to be overwhelmed. So there is about half of this population of the highest stress level uh, said that they were afraid of being feeling overwhelmed. So there, there is a real concern there when it comes to uh, mental health. And, and finally, people are, are, are concerned in, in this higher stress level, they, they're really concerned about uh, their access to health care. Uh, and they have a fear that they may get the virus themselves. And, and last but, but certainly no means least, there's a strong feeling of their being alone and isolated. Louise, I want to bring you in and also give you the last word. So Keith has outlined a number of concerns. Your findings are so rigorous and you've made so many recommendations. Tell us about what people listening, people within the community can do now to push the agenda and get it on the radar of their local politicians and federal politicians so that we can see some movement on the issues that matter to us as a community. I think the main thing is is to express to their MPs and MPPs in their area that uh, we have these recommendations and uh, the survey has been uh, sent out to government officials in the accessibility community in particular to uh, look at them and for the these uh, MPs to really push forward with the recommendations that we have made and providing like a loss where they have a loss of income because they cannot uh, work at their job anymore, the cost of um, financial support in forms of subsidies to so that they can get the technology that is needed. Because quite often they're using technology at work that they do not have 
at home, but yet they're required to work from home. Employers are not supporting that uh, technology in many cases, and it, it is quite astounding that uh, we found that out too. So to encourage employers who are listening to this to make sure that their employees who have vision loss have the equipment that they need to work with. But just to move forward into the future, that goes whether there's virus or not, that uh, we need to make uh, work situations and living situations much more accessible for those living with vision loss, whatever type of vision loss it is. We all need to live an equal and uh, substantial life. Well said. Louise, thank you very much for being on the program again. I hope you'll come back. Well, thank you. I'm sure I will. And Dr. Keith Gordon, thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me on your program. That was Louise Gillis, the President of the Canadian Council of the Blind, and Dr. Keith Gordon, CCB's Senior Research Officer. They joined me to discuss the results of their recent survey about the effects of COVID-19 on the vision loss community. To read the full report, please visit the CCB website, ccbnational.net. I hope you'll check out our podcast if you'd like to revisit our conversation with Keith and Louise. I want to remind you that this survey encompassed a number of issues. We only spoke about a few of them today, but it really underscores the need for evidence-based public policy intervention. Some of the things we didn't get to talk about were employment and access to technology, as well as the significant mental health impact of COVID-19 on the vision loss community. I would really encourage you to think through the implications of having the implemented the Accessible Canada Act and the need for the federal government to take responsibility for Canadians living with all forms of disabilities at this critical time. I hope you'll head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse for more from me. I'd like to thank Dr. Keith Gordon and Louise Gillis for being my guests on the program today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio with special thanks to Paula Deneen, technical supervisor. But most of all, thank you for listening and I hope you'll join us again for another edition of The Pulse on AMI Audio. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.